That's what we're to do with our hearts. That's what we're to do with our thoughts. We're to be constantly sifting through them. We are to be using the Word of God, our own antivirus software, protecting our hearts from those things that can damage them. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing his current series with part six of Six Steps to Spiritual Stability. What is biblical meditation? How are you meant to dwell on the scriptures? And how do you guard your mind against meditating with wrong motives, or perhaps even worse, on the wrong things? Well, today, Tom will continue to explore what it means for believers to bring every thought under the authority of Christ. He'll present four practical applications for thinking like a Christian from Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And as you'll discover today, the challenge for believers is living in this world, yet thinking and acting as one who belongs to God's world, that is, His kingdom. Let's open our Bibles and discover more from God's Word as we join our teacher today on The Word Unleashed. The word finally means he's approaching the end of this sort of brief list of commands to become stable, and he's introducing a fresh idea that has no relationship to the verse right before it. And in this verse, as he introduces it, we have a grid, if you will, a grid of eight virtues that are to regulate what we allow between our ears. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you must think like this. Now look at the list. You'll see that, first of all, there are six specific criteria. Whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and of good reputation or repute, And then there are two general sort of overarching summaries. He says, if there's any excellence, and if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. You see, these are the rules. These eight virtues are the rules God has set down for a thought life that honors Him. Now, ultimately... This verse can only be perfectly fulfilled by thinking about God's Word. God's Word is the only thing that perfectly meets all of these. But if that's what Paul meant, if all Paul meant in verse 8 was think about God's Word, he could have said that. He could have said, think about Scripture. So why does he give us this list? Because Paul lived in the real world. I think sometimes we forget that. We think that, you know, Paul lived in an ivory tower somewhere and he didn't face what you and I face. Paul lived in the real world, and because of that, he knew that we have to think about things other than Scripture. And so he teaches us how to live in our world and think in God's. Let's look at these specific qualities. Our thoughts are to be true. This refers to what is genuine and real instead of what is false and pretense. In fact, there's an interesting use of this word in Acts chapter 12, You remember the story of Peter, how he's put into prison, and the angel comes during the night and frees him. In verse 9 of Acts 12, it says, Peter went out and continued to follow, and he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. The word real is our word true, because he thought he was seeing a vision. So our thoughts are to be real, the real thing. What does that mean? 
Our thoughts are to conform to reality. Our thoughts are to be true. They're to conform to reality. So many people allow their minds to focus on their worries or their fears. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, they live in an imaginary world of fear. But there's another application in our culture, and that's the issue of amusement. Now, there's nothing wrong with amusement in and of itself. It has its place. But folks, the word amusement is an interesting word. To muse means to think. Ah is a negative. It means not to think. Doing something that doesn't cause you to think. It's okay to have a little bit. It's okay to give your mind a rest. Including Christians live in imaginary worlds of fiction and fantasy. Whether it's in your mind, in a world you've created in your mind, or whether it's an unhealthy dose of novels, or of television, or of movies, or of computer games, we must choose as Christians to think primarily about what is true, that which conforms to reality, as opposed to that which is unreal and imaginary. Secondly, he says, our thoughts must be honorable. Is used in Titus and Timothy to speak of one of the qualifications of elders and deacons. There it's translated dignified. This is a rich word, and it, it's really hard to translate with one English word. It's often used in the Greek world to describe that which is noble, majestic, that which demands honor and respect. It refers to lofty things, thoughts that lift our minds from the cheap and vulgar to that which is noble. We live in a base, vulgar society. It's a base culture we live in. As Christians, we are to choose instead to focus on what is noble. We're children of the King. We're to rise above the base and vulgar and to think instead about what elevates and ennobles the mind, whatever's honorable. The third criteria he gives us is right. Right. This is a very common word in the New Testament. It's usually translated righteous. It refers to that which meets the standard. Let me illustrate this word for you this way. In the Old Testament... This word is used when God says, I want you merchants to use right or righteous weights. Now, what did he mean by that? Well, in the ancient world, you would do commerce with the use of scales. On one side of the scale, you would put whatever you were purchasing or selling. And on the other side of the scale, you would put a weight that was supposed to be a certain amount of weight. And that way, you would determine how much grain or whatever it was you were selling. Well, unscrupulous merchants, whether they were, depending on whether they were buying or selling, would use a weight that either had a little bit shaved off of it to make it lighter or a weight that had a little extra on it to make it heavier. So it would come, the transaction would come to their advantage. God says, oh no, I want you to use right or righteous weights. Weights that conform to the standard. That's what this word means. Our thoughts must conform to the standard of what God says to the standard of what is expected and acceptable. This, this word is also used in Titus 1.8 of elders. There we're told that elders are to be just or righteous. What Paul says here in Philippians 4 is that what must characterize the lives of the church's leaders should characterize all of our thoughts. They should conform to the standard of God's word and to the standard of what's just, what's acceptable. Fourthly, he says our thoughts should be pure. This embraces the idea of moral purity and holiness. It's the opposite of what is sleazy and dirty. In fact, it's often used in contrast to sexual sin. Turn to 2 Corinthians 
chapter 11, you'll see this word used. 2 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul is defending his apostleship with those in the church in Corinth who were attacking him. And he says in verse 1, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. In other words, he said, defending myself is really foolish, but I need to do it for the sake of my ministry, not for my own. But indeed, you are, you are bearing with me. Verse 2, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure, there's our word, virgin. A pure virgin. One set apart from any sexual sin. They are entering into the relationship, into marriage, with no sexual relations. This word encompasses that, but it's even broader. Any kind of impurity is not to be in our thoughts. Sexual impurity. Let me just ask you, are you choosing to think about things that can be described as pure? God says that's how Christians think. This is only used here in the New Testament. Its basic meaning is that which inspires love. It's that which people consider lovable, lovely, attractive, winsome. It is the opposite of what is disgusting. One writer puts it this way, those things which give pleasure to all and cause distaste to none, like a welcome fragrance. We are to set our minds on those things that elicit not disgust, but admiration and affection. In other words, if people could get inside your head and look at your thoughts, they would not be disgusted by what they find there, but they would you would be found to be attractive because of what's in your head. In our little list here, he says, your thoughts are to be of good repute. This also is found only here in the New Testament. It means that we are to think about those things that have a good reputation, that are highly spoken of. By whom? By those that are godly. The things we think about have a good reputation among those who love God. That's not an exhaustive list. There are a lot of other qualities or virtues that should characterize our thoughts. And so Paul says, just in case I didn't catch you with one of those, let me back up and give you two big summaries. If there is any excellence, this word excellence was a common Greek word. It was often translated virtue, which was a, a big Greek concept. But here he informs it not with Greek thinking, but with the Old Testament. It's probably best to translate this word as it's translated in 2 Peter 1.5, as moral excellence. Moral excellence. If there's any moral excellence, then think about that. If you can find something that is morally excellent, then you're free to think about it, to dwell on it. And he adds, if anything worthy of praise. This is used in the New Testament of that which deserves both man's praise and God's praise. He says, listen, focus your mental energy on what is morally excellent and what deserves the praise of men and of God. Paul says, and he concludes the verse with this sort of wrapping it all up, he says, dwell on these things. Because of the tense of the Greek verb, we could translate that last phrase this way. Habitually discipline your mind to think about these things. Habitually discipline your mind to think about these things. Now, what, is it, what does that exactly mean? Paul loves this expression, that's translated dwell on. He uses it 34 of the 40 times it's used in the New Testament. The word means to reckon. In fact, you remember the early chapters of Romans where we run across that expression a lot. That's this word. To calculate, to take into account, to evaluate. 
But there's another sense of it, and I think it's the sense he intends here. It means to ponder, to reflect upon. It is focused consideration of something. You must choose to concentrate your mind on these things. Now, it's not that you never have to think about anything that's the opposite of these virtues. Again, Paul lived in the real world. He understood you're going to be forced to think about other things. But choose to concentrate on these things. The question is, when you can choose where to direct your mind, scientists tell us that the brain processes about 10,000 independent thoughts a day. But on average, 10,000. Some of those are forced upon you. You're at work. There's something you have to give your mind to. There are thoughts you have to consider in your work. When you're driving, well, not everyone thinks when they drive. Some people talk on cell phones. But you, you have to think about what you're doing. You have to direct your thoughts. You're forced, if you will, to think about something outside of yourself. But what about when you're choosing? There are a lot of those 10,000 thoughts every day. When you are in the driver's seat, you can choose about what to think about. What do you choose? Does your mind go to the imaginary, the false, the base, the vulgar, the unrighteous, the morally dirty, the unattractive, the disgusting, that which has a bad reputation among those who know and love God? When you can choose where to direct your mental energies, do you invest in what is morally excellent, what deserves the praise of men and of God? You see, you can choose where you allow your mind to go. You do choose where you allow your mind to go. Now, I know some of you may be sitting there thinking, but yeah, that's true generally, but there are thoughts that come into my mind that come in unwelcomed and uninvited. Well, that's true. Scientists have, have uh, and those who observe human behavior, have been able to discover that all of us have the occasional thought that sort of, we ask ourselves, where did that come from? You know, the thought like when you're standing on the top of a tall building and there's this, this momentary glimmer that says, I wonder what it would feel like to jump off. You ever had that thought? Hopefully you've never acted on it. We can have thoughts that enter our minds unwelcomed and uninvited. But as one writer said, it's also true that a bird can land on your head, but you don't have to let him build a nest there. John Owen, the Puritan, put it like this, and I, I love this description. He says, if we think like Christians, quote, we can test ourselves by asking whether our spiritual thoughts, now we're talking about spiritual thoughts now, the, these kinds of thoughts as in chapter 4, verse 8, whether our spiritual thoughts are like guests living in a hotel, or visiting a hotel, I should say. Let me start over that so you get it right. Whether our spiritual thoughts are like guests visiting a hotel are like children living at home. There's a temporary stir and bustle when guests arrive, yet within a little while they leave and are forgotten. The hotel is then prepared for other guests. So it is with religious thoughts that are only occasional. But children belong to their house. They are missed if they don't come home. Preparation is continually being made for their food and comfort. Spiritual thoughts that arise from true spiritual mindedness are like the children of the house, always expected and certainly inquired for if missing. End quote. Are your thoughts like Philippians 4.8, like guests in a hotel? When they come, they don't really belong there and they're going to move on pretty quickly and you're going to fill your mind with other things? Or are they like the children who live there? And they sometimes are forced to leave home for various reasons because you have to focus your attention on work or other things. But as soon as able... 
they return home and they feel perfectly at home in your mind. Paul says, dwell on these things. Now let me give you a couple of practical applications. This passage is practical in and of itself, but let me back up and sort of look at the big picture and give you a couple of practical suggestions. First of all, this passage tells us that we need to beware of unbiblical philosophies that may influence us. Paul puts this very clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Turn there for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is a passage that I know at one time, at some point, we'll look at in detail, but Notice what he says, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. In other words, we live as human beings, but our weapons, the weapons we use in our battle, are not human weapons. But they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Wow, that's an interesting picture of our lives. We're destroying fortresses. What are these fortresses? Well, notice verse 5. Destroying speculations. The Greek word speculations could mean philosophies, ideologies, ways of thinking, worldviews. We are destroying those speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Everything that exalts itself against God. Every mindset, every value system, every ideology, every philosophy that exalts itself against God. Now folks, let's just be honest. When you pick up any in today's culture, you are bombarded with philosophy. Whether you pick up your newspaper, whether you listen to a newscast, whether you talk to a friend at work, whether you watch a movie, watch television, you are confronted with philosophy. There is a speculation, an ideology that drives that. Paul says, beware. Use the Word of God, the Scripture. To notice the end of verse 5, to take every thought captive to the the obedience of Christ. Don't let that speculation, that philosophy, influence your thinking. Just for example, you can't pick up a book, as I did this last week, a, a book about history. And it began talking about evolution as if it were absolute established fact. But you, if you're not careful, can be influenced by the ideologies of the culture. Take secular humanism. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Moral relativism. I mean, how many times have you heard somebody say, well, it's okay, I mean, it's not hurting anybody. If they want to do that, that's fine. That's moral relativism. That's a speculation. Don't allow it to affect your thinking. That's what Paul is saying. Not only use the Word of God to confront the speculations that are influencing you, but to tear down the fortresses that other people have built as well. There's another practical application of this passage, and that is guard your thinking from dwelling on the opposite of these virtues. Guard your thinking from dwelling on the opposite of these virtues. This is the negative side. Paul says dwell on these things. What he means, obviously, is don't dwell on the others. Proverbs 4.23, Solomon says, Guard your heart. Set a guard before your heart with all diligence, for from it, flow the springs of life. You know, if your computer is like mine, if you use it on the internet at all, you probably have, or if you could email, you probably have some kind of an antivirus program, something on your computer that is constantly looking at what comes in and filtering through it, looking for those things that would negatively affect it. That's what we're to do with our hearts. That's what we're to do with our thoughts. We're to be constantly sifting through them. We are to be using the Word of God our own antivirus software protecting our hearts from those things that can damage them. 
Third application is the positive side. Choose to set your mind only on those things that meet these standards. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, Paul says, Examine everything and hold fast to that which is good. That's what we're talking about here. There's a lot that goes on in the world around us. There's a lot that you're confronted with to think about. Examine everything and hold fast to that which is good. By the way, what we're talking about here isn't a psychological trick. It isn't what psychologists would call sublimation. Sublimation, let's take fear for example. Sublimation would say, okay, you're afraid? Then what you need to do is just start thinking about beautiful things, and as you fill your mind with beautiful thoughts, you'll forget your fear. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not the biblical way to think. The biblical way is to confront your unbiblical thinking head on. You need to talk to yourself. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says so often in his writings. It's been such a great help to me to understand this. And that is, he says, the problem with most Christians is that they spend far too much time listening to themselves and not nearly enough time talking to themselves. Not out loud, obviously, you know, they might lock you up. But, but you don't understand what he's saying. He's saying we have a tendency to just sort of listen to whatever comes into our minds. But true biblical thinking, true Christian thinking, is to talk to ourselves. Take the example of fear I just gave. You don't just fill your mind with beautiful thoughts. You grab your mind, as it were, by the scruff of the neck, and you say, listen, think about this. Am I really going to be afraid when I know that God is absolutely in control of all of my circumstances? Am I really going to be afraid when God has promised never to leave me, to always be present for my good? Am I really going to be afraid when God didn't spare his own son but sent him? Am I going to think that he really isn't going to care for me and that he's going to allow something to happen to me that isn't for my best? No, the solution isn't the sort of Julie Andrews approach of thinking happy thoughts. It's confronting your unbiblical thinking with truth, talking to yourself with the truth. Constantly choose to meditate on God's word. Constantly choose to meditate on God's word. You see, it's the only thing we know that perfectly meets all the criteria for, of Philippians 4.8. In Psalm 1, you remember the beginning of the Psalter. As, as, David open, or as, as David opens up the Psalter there in Psalms, he begins with this contrast of the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And he begins by saying, the righteous man delights in the law of God. He finds his joy, his satisfaction in the law of God. And listen to how he describes the righteous man. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Take some of those 10,000 thoughts that you have each day and force your mind to think about God's revelation. If you do that, then you can be assured that you're thinking as Paul prescribes in Philippians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 3, Paul puts it this way, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the New Testament expression of Old Testament meditation. To think like a Christian is to think in line with God's revelation. What you choose to think about will determine your actions, your habits, your character, and ultimately your destiny. In the end, what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 4 is we as Christians must bring every thought under the authority of Christ. He's saying, think like a Christian. Learn to live in this world. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part six of Six Steps to Spiritual Stability. 
Tom will have part seven for you on our next broadcast. Do join us then. Now, before we leave you today, here again is Tom with some closing thoughts. I love that quote by C.S. Lewis that says that the demons love to distract God's people by noise. I think we live in a culture of noise and distractions from our digital devices to the constant cry of so many things. And yet it's so crucial in the middle of the noise that we keep ourselves focused on what really matters. Keep our minds and hearts centered on God's Word, on meditating on the Scripture, because that time will never be wasted. And so we need to invest in what matters for eternity. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our email address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. That's 1-877-577-WORD. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. We thank you for listening. The Word Unleashed exists because God, in His Word, has given you every spiritual resource you need to grow in Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that the power of God's Word be unleashed in your life.